All right, guys, welcome back to the CrossFit Rife podcast, where we talk about the pursuit of health and happiness via CrossFit. And I'm here with one of our awesome members, Megan. I have to add, your last name, do you say the hyphen in there? So when you, because in your last name, it's um, uh, Pennington, and then, how do you you say the second part? Just say Pennington Bogio. Bogio, okay, all right. It's Sometimes not I'm like not sure. Pennington Dash Bojo. Well, I mean, like I, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, I wasn't actually saying asking <laughs> if you verbalize the dash. I just some people don't actually use part of it when they introduce themselves. But anyway, okay. So, sorry, I'm an idiot. And That's okay. Yeah, and I, there. I have gone by Pennington. I have gone by Bojo. <laughs> I have gone by Pennington Bojo. If you are a parent, please don't hyphenate your child's name. It's not as fun as it sounds. That's fair. I will not. Um, we will not hyphenate <laughs> the second one's name. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Um, but no, we've we've had a couple conversations just about a lot of stuff because you're a crazy intelligent person, and I thought this would be fun. I've actually been really looking forward to this because I want to talk to you about your time at MIT. I want to talk to you about that, that big oil thing that you told <laughs> me gets stuck in the sewer sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just genuinely enjoy talking to smarter people and, uh, by probably any intellectual metric that we could come up with, you are orders of magnitude smarter than I am. So I I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be fun. Um, but tell the world a little bit about yourself. All of our seven subscribers that we have on the Cross (laughs) the Right podcast. (laughs) Um, my name is Megan. I am originally from Southern California. Um, grew up in a relatively tiny town, not absurdly tiny, but what what is what is um, tiny? It's permanent population about ten thousand. Um, it's pretty small. So not you know more than one stoplight, but not um, not a dozen. A city. Got so, it. Um, and yeah, ended up in Boston for college, back to California for grad school, and now I'm here. I am a chemist. I work in wastewater. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, we are our building is oh, catty corners. Not well, it is kind of catty corner. Yeah, yeah it is kind of catty catty corner to uh, Hampton Road Sanitation Department, which I found out was either Chris or Charles. It's like one of the world leaders yeah. in sanitation. It's like literally in our backyard. Uh, tons and tons of employees back there, um, but they have like a because we have I don't know we probably have ten HRSD employees. Yeah, gym. we at got least, a lot. Yeah, at least 10. So, um, we've got about, I think, four to 500 employees at the complex here. Yeah, I've heard I've heard the number 500 thrown around uh, by multiple people. So, I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle there. But, um, okay. So, then, uh, what? So, you're in Southern California all the way until you go to college. Yep. What is, um, what's that, what's that childhood like? Um, At the time, I thought it was boring and very limited. In hindsight, I consider myself very lucky. So I grew up in a town called Big Bear, um, Big Bear, California. Okay. It's a ski resort town. Um, So in the winter, we get a lot of tourists to visit ski resorts. In the summer, we get a lot of tourists for camping, and we have a lake. Um, So primary industry is tourism. Um, Okay. And uh, there's not a lot to do. I mean, we had one movie theater that when it split to two screens, that was like life changing. <laughs> so the um, movie, so it can only show one movie. <laughs> it could when I was a kid, and then they okay. split it and it had two screens. 
And then when I was in middle school, they built the new theater that had three additional screens. What do we do? Now, mind you, one of those theaters <laughs> had 11 rows in it. That, that one of the whole theaters that had 11 rows, about 10 seats wide. Um, but it was like, oh, my God, we have five movie theaters now. This is amazing. Um, so we had a skating rink, bowling alley, you know, the, the usual small town. Everyone does the same thing on Friday nights because there's just not that much to Did do. Did you go to the skating rink growing up? I did. We're roughly the same age, I think. So I think anybody who's grown up and had a childhood that did not include a skating rink has been robbed of their youth. I would agree. I would agree. My buddy's dad owned one. It was called Skate City. Super <laughs> clever. And uh, it was awesome. So we would go there all the time. However... As we got a little bit older, I, I refused to skate when my buddy was there, Chad, because <laughs> he was so good at skating. He could skate backwards. He could skate on one leg. He could skate backwards on one leg. And he just made us all look like idiots. And, uh, and like, that's how he picked up chicks when we were, like, in middle school. And I was like, man, if only I could roller skate, knowing that that's not actually what people care about. But <clears throat> I was super jealous. And it it is a nostalgic point for me because there's certain like songs that come on. You're like, that's a roller, that's a skating rink song. Like you know, did, I love it. Disco did ball. Did ever and all. like lower the lights in the disco ball? That it, oh, they, the lights never came up. Like, oh, they were just permanently down. Had special songs where the disco ball would drop down. And oh, dude, it was great. Everyone would hold hands and skate around. We would do the hokey pokey and stuff like that too. It was fantastic. Yeah. I miss those days. I Old know. Skate City. I think our skating rink is an antique mall now. <laughs> I think there's one in here in Virginia Beach. There is. Chris, I remember her daughter had a thing there, and she went, and she was in pain for two days. Cause she fell down. No, just because roller skating I is felt, hard. I tell you what, those falls on the hip, yeah. you just definitely don't want to take an elderly person roller skating. That's, yeah. a, that's a broken hip waiting to happen. Um, yeah, I remember some of those falls being not comfortable. Yes. I was exceeding my threshold for speed, usually. <laughs> okay. Um, any sports growing up? Um, I started playing soccer when I was five. Okay. Um, played until I was 14. Um, stopped playing for the dumbest reason ever. Um, my freshman year of high school, I played. We had a local traveling team. We didn't have enough people playing at that age to actually have a league in my town. Got it. So we were traveling club team. We played in tournaments and in a, a league a couple hours away and we finally managed to petition our high school to have a varsity soccer team but they would only have a girls soccer team they would not have a men's soccer team they were convinced it would mess up football somehow um okay yeah <laughs> but so we finally got a, a varsity girls soccer team my sophomore year of high school and I did not go out for the team because I was convinced that I wasn't good enough to play high school soccer Dumbest reason ever to stop playing a sport. But um, weren't all the people that were going to play already the people that you were yeah. playing with? I, I was one of the worst people on the team, but still, I mean, it was a dumb reason to not team. go out for the team. Still on the team. Um, um, but, okay. Um, and then I played softball from the time I was seven until I was 13. Um, okay. So, so basically, like, once you got to high school, sports kind of yeah, stopped. pretty okay. much. Were you – did you do any sort of activity? Through high school? Or is it just, like, basically academics at that point? Pretty much academics. I mean, we went hiking a lot. We camped. But it wasn't, like, any sort of 
regular sport or activity. Like um, okay. I think my mom and I had some brief stints of going to, like, we had a Curves gym that opened in my hometown. Curves, that's right. Um, and my mom and I went for a little while. Um, I've never been in a Curves uh, for obvious reasons, but I what's it like? Is um, it like a traditional Globo gym? Not really. I mean, at least I don't know what they're like now. At the yeah. time, it was very tiny, and it was a, I think it was a 15 station. Like, and it was like 15 stations set up in a circle, or maybe it was 10, I forget. Okay. And you had, there was like these little like padded squares that were like cardio. And so you would do like high knees or like jumping jacks or something. And then you would move to like a machine. And it was like every minute the music would make a noise and you would move stations. So it was sort of like an early like hit style okay. kind of. Um, Could you do something other than that? Or like when you walked in there, like I have to get in on this circuit, like that's it, all that's going yeah, on. Yeah, it was class times and that's pretty, m I think they had like a that's couple great. pieces of equipment. Um, there really aren't any gyms that in my hometown that aren't specialized in one way or another. There's not, there isn't a global gym. Not, yeah, there's probably not enough population um, there to support it. So for 10,000, that means you'd probably have to scoop up 50% of the population <laughs> to support the business. Yeah. <laughs> And a, a large amount of our population is retired. People, a lot of people retire Got up it. there. Um, I mean, we have a, a huge part-time population, but the full-time population is pretty small. During ski season. And during the summer for the lake. So, so just so all the time. Pretty much. Okay. Weekends. The population, <clears throat> I think, like most recorded is close to 100,000 people. On a big weekend, like Fourth of July weekend or New Year's weekend, ten times the. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Does the does the, was the town just like you're just like God? This sucks. It's just yes. all these people. And I like to think that I'm a better tourist when I go places by virtue of having grown up in a tourist town. Most people are not good tourists. They have very little respect for the places that they are visiting, um, and it's a common issue that trash gets left like people will just throw trash out their car yeah have a picnic on a table and just leave everything there is that still a thing um, throwing trash out your window oh, oh man the the flatlanders do it um what's a flatlander people that aren't from the mountains oh i see what we did there that's discrimination because maybe they didn't grow up around mountains <laughs> the flatlanders it's i'm a flatlander i guess i grew up in south louisiana the, the term for for the tourists the people who come I, you up might call the me mountain. like a soggy foot because it's swamps down there <laughs> um okay yeah i mean it's in, uh, basically on the mountain and down the mountain or there's a big bears on the mountain everything else is down the mountain and everyone from everywhere else is a flatlander but um, if you're on the mountain you're uh mountain person i don't know if we really had a name a local yeah okay. locals got it um yeah no, I, mean, I i uh no i get it i think i'm probably the same way when i go to another gym like i'm definitely conscious of not leaving my crap everywhere and paying attention to what the coach is saying because yeah it's like super aggravating when you're on the other yeah on the other end of that okay and then you left there, and you went to you went to USC, right? No, I went to MIT for undergrad. USC for postgrad. Yeah. Oh, I had that backwards. Okay, yeah. So this is this is going to be a rabbit hole because I I I found this topic so interesting, largely because I'm never I would never be intelligent enough to go to MIT. But I don't. I think you might be the first person that I've ever probably not ever met, but that I know that's been to MIT. Um, 
so what's so I know the application process is pretty extensive. I mean, it's really not that much different than um, other schools. Um, other than you have to be a genius. <laughs> I, well, you have to be academically inclined. and Yeah, I think some people call that being a genius. <laughs> well, so I, it's tough because I – and maybe this was one of those, like, privileged viewpoint sorts of things. But I think that there are a lot of very intelligent people – that do not do well in an academic environment. And I don't think that academic performance is really an accurate measure of intelligence. Um, and we, like I run into this a lot with my brother. For the longest time, my brother was convinced he was stupid because his little sister was better at math than he was. And he's six years older than me. Okay. So he's just like, well, my sister's so smart and I'm, I'm an idiot because he was a C student. He didn't like school. He just didn't care about it. He didn't want to work. He wasn't interested in it. But he now works in business, does some sort of real estate finance brokering. I don't know. He is an amazing businessman. Like just kills it. And the kind of like he started giving me advice when I was applying for jobs. And he's like, Well, just, you know, write this letter and do this and like do these and the and I was just like, What? You want me to talk to people? Like and so he just has a very different set of skills and he's an incredibly good businessman. He was terrible at academics. I'm really great in academics. I am super awkward when it comes to other people. <laughs> like, it's just different I mean, types of skills. Yeah, I mean, I definitely that. Yeah, I don't think that would be an inaccurate statement for a lot of people who are very, very high IQ, just great at school. Not, I don't think you're socially awkward. You're just. Um, I'd tell you if you were. I'd be like, man, you're weird. Um, <laughs> but the I, I was. I'm probably kind of the same way. Like I went at the Naval Academy. That is. It's a liberal arts school, but it is, it's an engineering curriculum. Yeah. Like everybody takes thermodynamics, electrical engineering, you know, multiple semesters of physics and chemistry and all that stuff. Uh, and I was awful. I mean, just like an atrocious student. Um, but later in life, I found some things that I'm pretty good at that I genuinely enjoy and love to read. And like, that was just something I never thought I would enjoy, but I think once I think it has to do with interest, and I think there's uh, there's a lot of people that are I don't want to say getting pushed or forced into programs that really do not fall within their skill set. Yeah, and that creates an environment that is just riddled with failure because it's like, hey, I'm not going to be a great tennis player. They're like, yeah, but you should really play tennis. I'm like, but I'm not going to be good at tennis. Why don't I just play basketball or something like that? Yeah. So, um, no, I get it. That's that's a fair, it's a fair kind of assessment of that. Probably the higher education system in general. I mean, and I, it's, it often surprises people. I'm a pretty big advocate of people not going to college unless they know why they're going, or they have the disposable income to afford to go. But the reality in our world right now is that financially. Like trade schools are the way to go. I mean, you're because you're talking to somebody who <laughs> could probably not agree with you more, which is funny coming from two people who have, you know, by most metrics graduated from pretty esteemed higher institutions. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I love my time in college, and I'm glad I went, and it's been great. And for me, it has furthered my career. But a lot of people go to college because that's just what you do after high school. You go to college. 
And right now with the way the co- where the costs are, I have a friend did a four-year degree, couldn't find a job, did a two-year program in like sonogram stuff, is now like a cardio sonogram tech and makes like $100,000 a year. Meanwhile, like those of us with, you know, PhDs are making 60. Like, yeah. I th- it's just not, it's I not what it used to I be. I would agree with you that with the exception of probably four or five professions, doctor, lawyer, engineer, nurse, something like that, and even nursing, you know, like you can go yeah. through, it's not college, but like you go through a nursing program that is not college and do that. But people think I'm nuts, but I tell them all the time, I'm like, if when my kids get ready to go to that point, Unless they have like a scholarship or they are dead set and they, they, they know and they come to me and they say, I know what my meaning in life is and this is where I'm going to do and it involves going to college. I am probably not going to push them to go to college. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that that's smart. I think that is one of those fortunately, unfortunately, we've increased our college attendance rates so much that we've practically de- like eliminated the value of a college education yeah the master's is the new bachelor's yeah if you don't have a master's degree they're like oh you know exactly i was i was writing about that because i'm in a master's program right now but uh just the it was asking oh it was asking about like the seven criteria for these seven different metrics for management and which ones were the most important and one of them listed was education and I wrote like a blurb on there. It's like the least important one. Like yeah. it just there is no correlation between your education level and your productivity as a manager or an employee or anything else like that. Uh, not to be confused with lifetime earnings. That is obvious yeah. thing. But yeah, no, I know plenty of people that are crazy smart that I would never work for or with in my life. Um, just wouldn't do it. Well, you know? The reality is that college <clears throat> doesn't. College teaches soft skills, which are important, are incredibly important. You think it does teach soft skills? If you let it. But I yeah, think I don't think it teaches soft skills that at all. It doesn't, definitely does not teach the immediately practical. I mean, it teaches you, I would, depending on where you go, I think it gives you the opportunity to experience, to interact with people different than you, to get yeah. that experience of the people not necessarily like that the classes teach soft skills, but that the experience itself can have value, but it definitely does not teach any sort of um, immediately applicable job skills. Yeah, I would agree. And I would, I would even go further on that depending on what your course load and what your subjects are. By the time you graduate from college, what you learned is completely obsolete in a world where everything changed. Like yeah. if you're in a, if you're a marketing student and, and they're not like, they don't teach how to run Facebook ads or, yeah. or any of that stuff in there. And if you don't know how to do that, when you like, yeah. good luck, you know, getting into a marketing firm for, for most, you know, like it's moving away from mass media, like the big corporations and marketing firms. And then most people are just, direct to consumer via Facebook or Instagram. Like yeah. They don't need marketing agencies anymore. Um, and even uh, like cyber, like the Naval Academy now is like a cybersecurity um, uh, degree that you can take there. But I mean, unless you're on that like hardcore, I mean, just get yeah. behind the power curve. Um, yeah, but anyway, whatever I, you learned in the beginning will be long yeah, out of date by the time you graduate. 
literally be in a history class. So I want to talk about MIT because I was blown away when you're like, there's no grades. <laughs> <laughs> so talk, so kind of tell people it, th there are grades. Don't freak out everybody. People at MIT get grades, but it's, there's kind of not for the first year. Yeah. So. so the, the first <coughs> semester, um, is what's called pass no record. So you take your classes and if you get an A, B or a C equivalent score, it goes out on your transcript as a pass. So my transcript for my freshman year just says P for all of my classes. If you do not get an A, B, or C, you get a, a, a D or an F, it does not go on your transcript. So it doesn't even go on as like no record. Like it's gone. It's like you never took it. It doesn't factor in your GPA. It has no effect on your future. You have to take the class again, obviously, mm -hmm. if it's a core class. But it doesn't negatively affect you. Um, and then second semester is ABC no record. So if you get an A, a B, or a C, that grade goes on your transcript as that grade. But if you get a D or an F, no record. It's, it's gone. You get another chance. You get to do it again. So it's not until um, your sophomore year that you actually, like, really risk failing classes in a way that's going to permanently impact your academic record. Yeah. And even after that, if there are classes that you want to take – that are not core classes, they're not required for your degree or just general education, mm -hmm. you can actually elect to take them past no record. So you can choose to take a class past no record, which means it won't, you know, basically. If you fail, it doesn't matter. If you fail, it doesn't matter. If you get an A, you're not going to get an A, you're going to get a pass. But you have until like the first three weeks of school to take a class and turn it into pass no record. So if you're like, this class is really interesting, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail it, but I want to yeah. take it anyway. Um, and I think that's really, I, I don't know how unique it is anymore. I think that kind of is getting more common, but I think it's still pretty unique. I have no unique. idea. That's the first time I've um, heard that, which was shocking to me because of the aura around MIT and, and you know. So, I mean, it's kind of... <coughs> It's kind of sad when you look at the, the root of that. The reason that that exists is because historically they've had a very high suicide rate. Yeah. Um, it's a high-pressure environment, and you're taking primarily people who probably got straight A's in high school. Um, pr I would say probably 90% of the classes, you know, the kind of kids that got straight A's in high school. Um, and you're putting them in an environment where they're probably not going to be the best anymore because – if you take the top of the country, like somebody's going to be the bottom of the top. Yeah. And it's a lot of people, some people can handle that. A lot of people who tend to be high achievers also tend to be the kind of people that don't handle that well. Um, because they haven't had to. Yeah. They haven't experienced it and they're very driven to succeed. I mean, you don't, you can get straight A's in high school mm -hmm. by just being good at school. Yeah. And some people, I mean, and myself included school suits me i'm good at school Atel like, intelligence aside the, the learning style in school suits me i test well it just works for me yeah so but that's not true for everybody but when you get to a higher level just testing well isn't enough <laughs> anymore and so i think a lot of people is are very shocked when they get you know go from that to somewhere like mit and so they, they instituted policies like that. Um, they also, you cannot graduate with honors. There's no magna cum laude, summa cum laude. There is no honors um, with graduation 
which always cracks me up because movies are always like, this person cracked magna cum laude from MIT. And I'm like, no, they didn't. I've, I thought that was interesting too, but I thought it was interesting maybe for another reason because I think sometimes the, and I think incentives are good. However, I think sometimes incentive can, can create misplaced intentions in a scenario where like, hey, I'm going to do everything to maybe include things that are bad for other people in order for me to finish at the top. Yeah. So I'm going to do things that are in my best interest at the expense of others in order to finish top of the class. When, do you was, – was it your experience when you were there that – because they had eliminated all of this, like, you know, you're the best and you're the middle and you're the bottom, that people were a little bit more civil? I mean, I definitely, I can't compare because it's all I know. Yeah. But I don't have any feelings that it was a competitive environment. And, I mean, I my degree program, chemistry is a very small degree, um, which is kind of not what you would expect. But we had about 25 um, chemistry majors out of a thousand student class really um, very tiny major um that so for us it was very collaborative i mean there was no real with that you small, literally know with, everybody in your major yeah so but i in general i didn't see a lot of very like competitive behavior it was much more generally collaborative people helping okay. each other and i think that you know taking that that ranking out of it whether that's solely responsible or, just, you know, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. But it helps, I think, because you don't have that pressure to try and be, like, the best. I mean, even in high school with the valedictorian, I mean, people were crazy about it. I, oh, man. I knocked myself out of the running for valedictorian on purpose by not taking four years of a foreign language because I just didn't want to deal with it. Like, it wasn't worth it to me. Just not interested in the competition for Like, it. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. I... So, I don't talk about my academic accomplishments much, and a big part of why is that when you grow up as the smart kid in a very small town, that's all you ever get to be. Yeah, you get labeled the, <laughs> um, the nerd, probably. You know? And so, you know, every time we had a test, like, oh, what did you get on this test? And it, God forbid, if I scored lower than somebody else, I would hear about it for, like, a week because it was like the most exciting thing. I got a better score than Megan. And yeah. I'm just like, I just don't like, I don't care. I don't, I'm not doing it to be better than you. Like I'm just doing what I can do. It's an interesting um, dynamic. If you, so whatever field you're in, you know, whether you're the a garbage man or whatever, um, if you are the best, it can be very easy to get caught up playing a game that you had no idea you were even involved in. Yeah. You know, there's a competition going on that you are almost involuntarily part of that you can feel pressured to participate in. It's like, hey, I was just trying to be good because yeah. I wanted to be good. I'm not trying to compete against you. Yeah. But now here we are, like, you know, in this, in, in a lot of cases, probably a toxic environment. Yeah, um, I mean, I... I would say so, and I hated it. Um, I mean, I I hated that part of it. I. It's funny because most people that know me, and I mean, if you don't talk to my parents, I'm incredibly talkative. Getting me to shut up is harder than getting me to start talking. Um, I did not speak in school. 
I did not ask questions. I didn't answer questions. And so my parents would laugh every year because they do the parent teacher conferences. And my teacher would be like, no, she's super quiet. She never says anything. And they're like, are we talking about the same kid? But I just, I didn't want to be a part of that. I had no desire to be that person. And I mean, obviously. Did that make learning difficult? Or did you, have you always kind of grasped the topic? You're like, I get it. Yeah. I, I generally catch on pretty quickly. At least academic, scientific subjects I catch on. That would We're talking like English and the humanities. I struggle a bit more. Well, they're a little bit more abstract. So yeah. the I, I, that would be devastating for me to not ask questions because yeah. I'm just the guy. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Like I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I would just I would usually talk to a teacher after class. If I had questions, I would just wait until – classmates weren't around um I got on very well with all of my teachers I'm pretty good friends with the teachers probably more so than most of the students um I was that kid I is this I went in to high the school front or office MIT? in high school okay I mean, MIT was obviously that was very the different, different because yeah. it was a I wasn't the best mm-hmm. anymore I was not far from the smartest kid around so yeah. you know sort of already out of that and then there was a lot less of that in general um I think maybe enough of us had been through it that you don't do that to the other two other people. Um, but I never, I never had that there. Um, so I, it was a much more pleasant environment. Did you enjoy your time there? I did. I, I really, really did. Um, I would imagine it's just a super interesting place to be. It is. Um, and I mean, Boston is an amazing city. So the two combined, it was, it was a wonderful place. Um, and I'm really glad that I went, I was a little scared, um, going 3,000 miles away for college um especially coming from a small town yeah yeah. that's a that's a that is a crazy culture (laughs) shock I'm sure yeah I went from I mean my high school class had we had 204 students in my graduating class and probably a hundred plus of them I had graduated kindergarten with um damn that's I, a big ass class like, kindergarten class. Well, I mean, not like in the, but I, that's what I mean. Same like, year. Same year. Got so it. over fifty percent of the kids I graduated high school with, I had known since I was five years old. Um, Do you still keep in touch with a lot of those people? Because of Facebook, yeah. I mean, not like super close, but I keep pay attention, um, and it's kind of fun. There's there's something about growing up in a small town that's like we'll all always have that in common. Um, so like we, I went to my. 10-year high school reunion um, a few years ago. and uh, My 20 years coming up next year. My, like I was just thinking. Uh, I was, 20 yeah. years out of high school. That is bonkers to think about. I think next year will be 15 years since I graduated. I don't know if they're going to do a reunion. But it was a lot of fun. I think there was probably about 60 of us that showed up. I mean, a good number of people still live in Big Bear. Um you I mean, either I get out right after high school or you probably never leave. Yeah, but I don't know how unique that is, to be honest with you. Like, I'm from Baton Rouge, which is a pretty big city. Um, but in my high school graduating class, this is probably not a stretch. I want to say there's like less than five people left the state of Louisiana. And... My, what was my graduating class? My graduating class probably wasn't much bigger than yours, but let's say it was 200. 195 of them stayed in, in Baton Rouge. Now, 
don't know. Like, there's more infrastructure in Baton Rouge. LSU yeah. is a massive university, so for a lot of people, there's really no reason. Like, there's there's a lot more opportunities. A lot more, yeah, to do that. Um, so, yeah, my my hometown people who stay, it's generally for. I mean, there are a fair number of jobs, but a lot of them are, you know, seasonal jobs at the ski resort, working at the ski resorts in the winter and the docks in the summer yeah. and lots of drugs. Um, cool. one of Lots of lots of meth gets made <laughs> up there um, because you're the second person out on here that has like a weird meth upbringing. I, th- I mean, thankfully, I my family was not involved with that. And very, like, very I wasn't close uh, um, regionally too in that area. But because of the number of vacant homes, I mean, Given yep. that there's like 75% vacant homes, it's apparently a very good place to have a meth lab because the odds of it getting discovered are pretty low. Pretty low. And since if you blow it up, then you just go to the next one. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's still true. I know that that was true when I lived there. That they I'm going to ask a you this and feel free to not answer. As a chemist, do you know how to make meth? I do not. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> I, I really she don't. She does know how to make meth. Um, okay. Um, so you graduate from MIT and you go direct to post-grad and you go back to the West coast. Yeah. So I went back to USC. Um, it's one of those things like, I, you know, grass is always greener. Like I loved Boston. I loved being there. I loved MIT. Um, but living there, I desperately wanted to get back to California. I missed the sun. Um, there's the sun doesn't shine that much in Boston, especially in the winter. Um, the the first year I was there, I had some serious seasonal affective disorder. I like, and I, that was the, the closest I've ever come personally to dealing with depression. Which yeah. is like I was just sad. And I was like, what the, like I'm not a sad person. Like, yeah. And it took me a good that. month to realize, like, oh, seasonal affective disorder is a thing, and I need more I'm sun. dealing with yeah. it. <laughs> um, I need more sun. But the sun comes up at eight o'clock in the morning, and it sets at three thirty, and I, I was in oh, class. That's such a bummer. Um. So I just wanted to get back to California. So I only applied to California schools for grad school and ended up at USC. Um, so University of Southern California, mm. in case anyone thinks the other one is not <laughs> South Kakalaki. Um, okay. And then so you and then how do you end up here? Um, so my ex-boyfriend, who I actually met at MIT, um, he was in a master's program there. Okay. We started dating after I had already moved to California. Um, and he ended up joining the Navy a couple years later. Um, and then he was stationed here. So when oh, okay. I graduated, I started looking for jobs. And luckily, I got the job at HRSD and made the move out here. And then we broke up a couple of years later, and I just stayed. Okay. What? Uh, and what do you do at HRSD? So I am a chemist. I like to joke I'm a shitwater chemist because that's what we work with. But um, I mean, <laughs> that's what you do. You like poopy water. So I personally work in um, our organics section. So organics being organic molecules, i.e. things that are made of carbon. Um, so mostly we're looking for like pesticides um, and like various like organic contaminants. So solvents, um, lots of things that are used in like industrial processing. So you liked organic chemistry. The class. Yes. Yeah. I, First I, class I ever took. I I was I took that class and I was like I could not care less about the element of carbon, but that is this entire course. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that organic chemistry and chemistry in general, even, is something that either makes sense in your brain or it doesn't. 
I would agree. And some people, like, for me, it just made sense. I was the latter. For a lot of people, it just doesn't. Um, I credit a lot of that to the fact that we start teaching chemistry with a lot of lies. They're not lies. They're simplifications. But you start out in school, and it's like, oh, an atom is like a little ball of things, and then it has some stuff. And then it's like, oh, there's two electrons, and then there's eight, and then there's always eight. Yeah. And then they're like, well, actually, no. And like, well, actually, no, not. And as you get, you progress, they keep telling you, like, well, what we told you was actually wrong. This is how it really is. So what you're telling me is not and my fault. Basically. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, And so I think that some people, some brains have an easier time being like, oh, that was a simplification, and this is how it is. And some people are like, but you said it was this, and now you're saying, and it, it's, du- it's tough, and I don't think. I mean, I'm going to be real honest. Uh, I didn't suck at it because I was <laughs> confused about what I had learned to begin with. <laughs> I just sucked at it. It was not good. Um, but it is, it's. It's a difficult subject, and I really do think that it works in my brain. Biology confuses the hell out of me. Um, yeah, see, I find that to be much easier to comprehend and learn. I mean, it's still complex, there but... There are so many more exceptions I in biology. Yeah. Chemistry is much more like there are rules, and... It's math. If you if you dig down deep enough, the rules are pretty much always followed. Yeah, you, you can so. always find... There's, al- there's, a, there's always a... It's 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 what I would describe. It's very binary. It, yeah. As long as you can wrap your brain around it, it's binary. Like you can get the answer. Yeah. Where biology's not. Bi- biology's a little bit. There's a lot of different things. A lot of extraneous factors. A lot of a lot of. But well, in this scenario, yeah. So I get it. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, it's just for me. I love chemistry. It, no, that's it cool. works for me. I loved organic chemistry. Um, I mean, what I do now is. Even though it's we call it organics, I wouldn't actually really consider it organic chemistry. Um, it's analytical chemistry. Okay. So because we're not really we're not synthesizing anything, we're not making new molecules, we're not doing reactions. We're just extracting what's there and telling you if something's there or not. Got it. Um, You're just inspecting basically. basically, and and I love it because <laughs> instrumentation was always my favorite part of everything I did in grad school. Oh, um, God. You and I, like, could not be more <laughs> opposite. I just wanted to smash everything in, in all this class. I'm like, this is dumb. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, I love the, like, you take something and you put it in, like, some fancy piece of technology, and then you learn about what was in it. Like, ultimately, all kinds, all of instrumentation in chemistry, that's what it does. And one yeah. way or another, it gives you some sort of readout about what is there that you can't see. If I never have to titrate anything else in my entire life, I will literally die happy, man. Well, I don't have to do titrations. Well, that's good. So. Yeah. Um. I just like, I was, I was probably, I mean, I didn't act this way when I was taking these courses. Well, in college the first time for sure, when I was retaking some of those courses, uh, post graduate inside, I felt like, I felt like that jock who's just like, this is dumb. <laughs> Why does anybody need to know this? Um, but I tried to learn, and I was just – even when I was, like, older and more mature and studying, like, C plus B minus. I mean, um, God, it was aggravating. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you are welcome anytime you want 
just let me know. You can come over. I'll show you around. I mean, I'm more than happy to I'm, come, like, watch what you do. Um, but if we start our, doing equations and shit, I'm out. No. So <laughs> most of what I do is um, a type of instrumentation called gas chromatography. Um, okay. So you inject a very, very small amount, microliter, so like a drop, basically, mm -hmm. of a sample um, into, we call it a column. It's about a little bit bigger than, like, the human hair. They're usually, like... Okay. that wide in diameter and about 30 meters long and you inject that sample into how it. many freedom units is 30 i have no idea yeah. um and it uh freedom units are anything that is not the metric system <laughs> um it uh separates basically so the the different components that are in there the different molecules different chemicals that are in there interact with the inside walls of the the column and it they separate out into all of their different components and then cool. you have some sort of detector on the end. We have several different kinds of detectors that we use that gives you a readout, um, just like a plot basically where you get peaks and then you, depending on what kind of detector, you know what those peaks are and you can quantify them. Okay. So it's not, I think, what a lot of people think of when they think of chemistry, um, but I really enjoy it. I also really like fixing things. So That's fair. We troubleshoot a lot and... I don't always hate it. I mean, it's kind of annoying when things don't work the way they should, but taking them apart and fixing them is kind of fun. You're so. the person that everybody wants in the lab. They're like, oh, Megan will fix it. Yep. Basically. Okay. Or I'd be like, well, guess we're off for the rest of the day. Um, so, but I mean, they're, they're very fancy pieces of equipment, and that's a very simple, simple simplified version. Um, my newest instrument, my my current baby, the, the love of mm -hmm. my life in the lab, was $330,000. It's about... <laughs> Yeah, it's about $330,000 more than I will ever spend on anything that re revolves around <laughs> chemistry. It's a, yeah, a couple houses, a yeah. car, you know. Okay. Um, so how does, you know, you haven't, you're not really into any sport or fitness starting after high school. Yes. And then how do you find your way into a CrossFit gym? Because CrossFit gym is pretty much the opposite of what you do. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of. You'd, you'd, you'd be surprised, but actually, I would love to know um, the similarities. But how 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 do you how do you start this process of this journey? Well, so in college, um, not CrossFit, but relevant. Um, I didn't do anything athletic my freshman year of college, and I realized that I needed an outlet. As much as you know, I loved it and I was doing fine. I needed to do something. Um, and not even, it wasn't even really like a, oh my God, I gained the freshman 15 and now I need to be active. It just, I needed team sports back in my life. You're um, just like, I need something else yeah, other than this book. Like I need, I need that teamwork. I need the people. I need to do something. I need that community. Um, and I didn't want to play soccer because the soccer team at MIT practiced five days a week and they placed a very high priority on not missing games or practices even if you had tests and i was like but i'm not here as a it's soccer MIT, player <laughs> like yeah. I'm there's here no to... soccer team here guys um so my first year I, I dated a guy briefly who was a huge rugby fan and he tried to convince me to play rugby and i was like you were nuts like all i knew about rugby i had seen some people playing once and asked my mom what it was i don't remember how the conversation went but i came away from it being like rugby is a sport that crazy people play and that was what That's I thought. That's not untrue, actually. Um, and so I 
didn't like I ignored him and then sophomore year I'm like all right I need something Mm -hmm. and it's funny because he had started dating this other girl who hated me but he convinced her to join the rugby team and kind of similar to CrossFit once you find rugby and you love it you just want everyone else to love it too and so she actually recruited me to the team um which is funny um because then I joined and she quit because she didn't like me it's great but good for you um so I found rugby beginning of my sophomore year of college and fell in love with it. Um, definitely a lot of similarities between rugby and CrossFit, I think, in oh, the, yeah. the mental aspect especially. I regularly have – this is just a fun debate for me with, <laughs> with people about okay, any sport. Pick any sport you want. What sport that requires you to be the most well-rounded athlete? And rugby is almost – always top three for me because if you see high level rugby and I played like one <laughs> season of rugby after college because I, I had a buddy who got me to play he's like dude you're fast he's like we'll, we'll just make you a wing and just throw you the ball and just run and I was like sounds easy enough like whatever <laughs> and um but the pure unadulterated athleticism that you will see at high end rugby yeah. is kind of frightening yeah like it, it, you're talking about like you're talking about massive human beings that have good cardiorespiratory endurance that are strong uh, and agile. Yeah. With good hand-eye coordination, which is crazy, you know. And uh, when I – there was – when I was playing, uh, we had practice, practice, practice. I'm like, dude, this shit's crazy. Like, and, and you, like, I played basketball, and I played football and everything growing up, but – the thought of tackling people with no pads just freaked me out. I was like, yeah. I'm going to break my neck and my face and everything. And I was terrified all the way up until the point where, like, you take your first real hit. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm not dead. Okay. This is going to be fine. Uh, and I got super banged up. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, if it, I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. And it's it's a really – strong community mm-hmm. as well i think because especially here not a lot of people play and it's that it's i think in a lot of ways it's similar to to the crossfit community you put your when you put your body physically through something that challenging it builds that like emotional bond as well and so i mean i spent three years playing rugby and pretty much did everything with the group of girls from the team like yeah. we we went out every weekend and we usually went out with the guys team. And so all of my friends from college, even though like I knew the people in my major and I'd still keep in touch with some of them, but all of my really good friends from college are from the rugby team. That's, I think, I think it was listening to Andy Stump. He has a podcast and he was, it's called cleared hot. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. The, I think he talks about that in one of his podcasts and cause he's a former, he's a retired Navy SEAL. Um, and then he worked for CrossFit for a while, but he, was discussing something with somebody and they're like, well, how do you build really tight bonds and camaraderie? And he said, well, the best way anybody knows how to do that is you have to combine two things. You have to combine shared suffering and laughter. And if you compare those two things, there's a very, very strong bond that can happen. And if you think about certain communities that have that, so you think about the military, lots of shared suffering <laughs> and then lots of laughter because of said shared suffering and then really, really tight sports like rugby 
um, where you're very much dependent on other players to play that sport. Um, yeah. And then CrossFit, like, it's the same thing. I'm not dependent on anybody, but we're all in the suck together, and there's a lot of laughter about it afterwards. So I 100% understand that and get that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was – and the other thing I love about rugby, and which, again, like this all ties together why I am so happy I finally found CrossFit, is that rugby is for every body. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean that literally every body, not – I mean, it is for everybody, mm-hmm. but – Regardless of your body type, regardless of what your fitness strengths are, there is a place on the rugby field Mm -hmm. for you. And that was something that I never had in soccer. It's not something that I really had in softball. Um, And I mean, I've never like I'm not super heavy, but I've never been super thin. I've never been super athletic. And so for me to find a sport where, like, it wasn't like, oh, you got to, like, be able to run five miles and lose 10 pounds if you're going to do well in this sport, they're like, oh, you're a little bit heavier. We'll just make you a forward. Like, yeah. it wasn't an issue. And it was like, you don't like to run? All right, we'll make you a forward. Like, you love to run? You can be a wing. Like, oh, you're only four foot tall. You can be a wing. <laughs> like, yeah. And so I think, especially for women, rugby is an amazing sport. And I think CrossFit also um, has a lot of that same there's no wherever your fitness level whatever you're at whoever yeah. you are however you built there's still something that you can do and be a part of it and I don't think there's a lot of sports a lot of team sports especially where that's true most team sports have a body type that is going to make you success most successful and rugby really is where I first started to learn to look at my body as for what it could do mm-hmm. not what it looked like that the the physical that's cool contact the, the the lack of contact sports in little girls growing up i think really is a disservice to girls learning that our bodies are also powerful and they are tools and it is not just something to look at um I'm, and i'm sure i don't i don't know what it's like to grow as a boy so i don't know if there's any of that for for little boys, but I know. No, for me, but I think society just segregates them, and I don't. I don't. I think it's incorrect. Um, um, I I really, I really think that we should have more little girls playing contact sports because I agree. It was life changing for me to be able to be like, yeah, I might not be you know 150 pounds and a size six, but I can tackle that bitch over there. So, which is awesome. Like, did you? Was there a noticeable when you started playing rugby when you were in school? Was there was there a noticeable change in the amount of confidence that you had as a person and as a, yes uh, and or as a female or just as a person? I mean, um, definitely as a person. Okay. Um, I I definitely I just felt better about myself. I just I was less worried about my deficiencies, if you will, or you know, and I just. And then it's hard to separate the community, too. But, yeah, I knew I knew that my body was powerful and that it could do more than just be something to look at. Um, And that was that was awesome. Um, And in senior year, we actually went we went on tour um, and we went to Spain. Yeah. I mean, we just it was like self-organized. But we went to Spain. Um, to Barcelona because we had a girl who had played with us as an exchange student that was in Barcelona. She hooked us up with an a t- with a team in Andorra, 
tiny little country between Spain and Italy, Spain and France. I don't know. One of okay. those tiny, tiny little country up in the mountains. And so it was funny. We, we get up there and we drive past this rugby field in the town and we ask the bus driver, we're like, oh, hey, you know, like, what's that rugby field? And he's like, oh, that's where the national team plays. I'm like, oh, the Andorran national rugby team. Like, that's cool. So we get to our hotel, and the next day they come to pick us up. To, like the team comes to pick us up to take mm-hmm. us to the game, and we pull up to the field. And we're like, "Shit! Like, what? What is going? Like, like this serious. is where the national team plays." Yeah, we played a seven scrimmage against the Andorran women's national rugby team. How'd that go? Um, <laughs> we got destroyed. <laughs> the there, good part is it's only seven minutes. Well, also apparently <laughs> there is only one women's rugby team in the country of Andorra. It is the national women's rugby team. Um, <laughs> You're like, that would have been pertinent <laughs> information to know yeah. before you threw us to the wolves. Um, yeah, we got destroyed. I actually tore my ACL in that game. Um, uh, that's a bummer. Unfortunately. So I was not able to play in the other games that we had the rest of tour. Oh, but still uh, still made the most of being in Barcelona for a week. Did you play week. both 15s and 7s or mostly one or the other? Mostly 15s. That was, was pretty much. 7s is Fast, man. I mean, you got to be in crazy shape sevens to play sevens. is way too much running. And um, at first when I was like, oh, it's just seven minutes. And then I take a break. I'm like, how hard could it be? And then <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it's like it's basically seven minutes of 100% effort. Yeah. And you have to take a 30-minute break and then come and try to do it again. Yeah. Um, that, w- that tour, I think, was actually the only time I ever played sevens. And the only reason we were playing sevens is because we could only get seven girls from our team to go on tour. Oh, got it. Um, we only had about 17 members regularly, and it wasn't it wasn't cheap. You know, I mean, it's yeah. not like the school was paying for any of it. I think um, sevens is easier for if you're not brought up playing rugby. I think sevens is easier to grasp to yeah. then go to fifteens because fifteens is is very. There's a lot of moving parts. It's yeah. I don't, don't want to say there's like plays, but there's plays and there's a lot more structure to it. Where 15s is very much – 15s is the equivalent of like – the way I would describe it is like it's the difference between playing three-on-three pickup basketball where it's very loose. There's not a, there's only so many plays yeah. you can run with three people, right? Like you're very yeah. limited in that scope. So it's a lot of – it's a lot of just what kind of just natural skill set you have. And then five-on-five five is different. Now you're talking about there's a ton of sets where like I need to be in a certain place at a certain time in order for this to unfold. And 15s is the same way. I mean it's just – it's a lot, and if you, it was just hard for me to pick all of that up. And with yeah. the sevens, I was like, "Oh, I get it. I'm just gonna do move over here and then do that yeah. and repeat this over but and over." You were a back, so sevens yeah. was for you. Sevens is not for forwards. Uh, yeah, um, that's true. It, yeah. So my first fifteens game. So I I joined the rugby team um, the week before we went to a big tournament. Okay. Um. So I played in my very first rugby game after two practices that's what i did it was terrifying but it was probably the best way to learn i watched the first half of the game and then they were like go play and i was like i mean i didn't even I really know, know the what's rules. going on and like I, I i had like multiple my buddy's like hey you can't run uh you can't do that you can't yeah. run backwards and i was like why not that doesn't make any sense he's like you got to go that way and i was like all right whatever i'll figure it out you know <laughs> <laughs> it was uh yeah there's lots of times where like whistle blows and he's like oh and i'm like uh, what did I do? I'm like, somebody tell me what I did wrong because I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely – there's a lot to it. Um, like the – and it was the, the joke, like, um, soccer is a gentleman's game played by hooligans and rugby is a hooligans play, game played by gentlemen. 
I don't know, man. I played with some rugged dudes uh, where the where the rugby was just dirty. I mean, it happens, and especially yeah. I feel like in America, we yeah, that's we bring so that's that yeah, and sports. I also think that when you're playing like lower level sports of any side, when just like when people are not good at something, they yeah. just result to doing things that are just shitty. Um, so I don't, I don't, that's why I don't yeah. play a lot of pickup basketball anymore. I just can't stand it. But anyway. anyway, the other thing I loved about rugby was the socials. We get together after the oh, day and play with the, like, I mean, epic. the party side of it and all of that, but the, the whole concept of getting together with the other team afterwards and like it's hanging out cool. and having a beer. I wish we had more of that in more sports. Cause it really creates a different culture of the sport. Cause you go out there and try to beat the crap out of each other yeah. for 80 minutes and then yeah. it's like 90 minutes whatever it is 80, yeah i party with some of the rugby guys in college and i was like dude you guys are aggressive <laughs> like this this whole scenario is just <laughs> aggressive by every metric um oh. no it's cool um so yeah i mean i get uh, that makes sense that you kind of gravitated toward rugby and then it makes sense that you would kind of gravitate towards crossfit I mean, it was it was a long route between the two but um, is this your first so this is your first crossfit gym yeah, ever have so you been into another crossfit gym since yeah this is the only place. You're going to be disappointed when you go to another one. I know. Um, but, yeah, I, so, I mean, I tore my ACL in my senior year. Um, didn't know it. They told me it was my, I strained my MCL and said I was fine. So I continued to play rugby for three more months. Um, and then went to grad school. They were like, oh, take some time off if it still hurts and maybe it'll get better. Had an MRI. They were like, everything looks fine. Try jogging. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with your knee. So I went back to playing rugby for a year um, in Southern California with a local club team down there. Um, and I, I would pivot and my knee would pop out. Yeah, you can't do lateral move with no um, ACL. Yeah. So I finally went back and, like, they did another MRI and they looked at the first one and they were like, oh, yeah, your ACL was torn three years ago when we did this MRI. <laughs> we just missed it. You're it's missing just a crucial more, part of your leg. It's more torn now. It never ruptured 100%, which is – the only reason that I thankfully did not do any damage to my meniscus yeah. in this process. It was about 90% ruptured when they repaired it. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, so I had that and I was doing a really good job rehabbing it. I was going to get back to playing rugby. I mean, I was 25 at the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to get back to it. I'm still plenty young enough. And then I started writing my dissertation and okay. rehab went out the window yeah. and <laughs> So did every other sort of yeah. extracurricular activity, unfortunately. Um, and then I moved out here and I went out to a couple of practices with the Norfolk Storm, the, the local mm -hmm. Norfolk women's rugby team. Yep. Um, but my knee was just not where it needed to be to, for me to feel comfortable playing rugby. Because yeah. the last thing I wanted to do was go and destroy my newly repaired ACL. Um, and so then I started going to the gym just on my own and I found eventually found body pump which was great at the time um it was a good mm -hmm. thing for me but ultimately ended up doing some damage to my hips um I think because they don't ever do full depth squats the squats are not full depth and I think that I created some imbalances in my hips as a result of that um it was I mean it was a good way for me to start getting back into fitness mm -hmm. But it definitely was not a long-term solution. Went from there and ended up finding um, Fit 36, which was a hit gym, like yep. high-intensity interval mm -hmm. training. Um, it's a CrossFit ripoff. I mean, it's and say what it is. No, no, it's not. It's nowhere near as good. It's I, no, it I mean, doesn't it's even a, deserve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I mean, like, I don't have any. Like, it yeah. is what it is. Like, I'm not, I'm not mad, but like, that's what they did. They're just like yeah. called it something else. They call it. I mean, they call it functional training. It's yeah. not. And F45 is the same thing that started in Australia, and yeah. it's kind of make, making a twist. I think. I mean, it's, Fit 36 is more like Orange Theory. Yeah, like they yeah, yeah. Ripped off yeah, they don't theory. teach any complex movements. Though. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was 36 minutes, and you have like 12 stations. Yep. A minute each station, 30 seconds of rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was good for me. I definitely my aerobic capacity improved significantly in about the year a year or so that I was going there. I mean, I went from being at, like running a mile at like five miles an hour to like six and a half miles an hour. Like, I definitely like I got faster. I got yeah. better. Um. Then I moved. I, w- I lived across the street from it, which helped. Um, okay. And then I moved, and I started getting frustrated that I wasn't getting stronger. I was getting in better shape. Yeah, you got to lift weights. But I wasn't getting stronger because you have 30 seconds. Even when we had barbell movements, mm-hmm. you have 30 seconds to load up a barbell and then a minute of work. Like, what yeah. are you going to accomplish? You can't get heavy. I, I mean, you just can't. Like, yeah. So, and there's no time to, like – do things heavy with proper form in a minute of an exercise. Like, yeah. It's just, just, there's it's no not, time to train it. They weren't training it. It's not conducive. Um, and that's not what they're doing. And that's fine. But that's, yeah. it's one of the major pitfalls of, of a program like that, where it's like, and, I and, mean, and, and you know, that's for some people, some people have no desire to touch heavy barbell and that's fine. And the, the exercise that you will do is the right exercise for you. Um, that's cool. You know, if that, if, if that works for people, then great. And then when you um, found, so CrossFit was that where were you one of the people who were like immediately either like I like it here or you're like oh this is suspect um so it took me I mean even before all of that obviously I was one of those people I knew about CrossFit yeah. and I was like that's nuts and people get hurt and it's dumb and yeah. like I don't how do you know somebody does CrossFit they'll tell you like yeah I mean all of the all of the common misconceptions all of that that like that was me and I'm friends with good friends with Joy Cook um, mm-hmm. Joy and Scott and she wouldn't even like she didn't even tell me for like three months after she started she didn't want to tell anybody that she was doing CrossFit and she finally told well, it's me not, if if you know Joy it's kind of not not yeah. her kind of right? yeah. so it doesn't really match her personality but um, she loves it yeah so I can see why she wouldn't tell people so she didn't really say anything and then she finally told me and so like she would tell me and I was like oh, I don't know like I don't know and she's like well come try it out and I was like oh no I'm, ha- I'm happy with my gym it's fine until I wasn't happy. And then it was like, all right, fine. And she's like, well, the next Bring a Friend week is in like two weeks. Yep. I was like, all right, let's do it. And Luis is like, well, if you do it, I'll do it. So let's go together. That's cool. And I mean, I think we made it through like two days of Bring a Friend week before we were sold. That's I mean, awesome. It was. An do, was it the opposite of everything you thought it was? I don't know if it was the opposite. It's definitely more. I it's, get, let me ask something more specific. What? What happened when you came in? You're like, oh, that's not at all what I thought was going to be going on. I think the the amount of coaching and the amount of drilling barbell movements and the amount of like, all right, I'm in a safe environment where somebody is paying attention to what I'm doing and somebody is going to show me how to do this correctly. Because you, you do hear all the misconceptions about the injury rates and – I was scared. I was scared to come in and try and do a snatch because I've never done one before. And it seems like it'd be really easy to hurt yourself if you did it wrong, you know? For sure. Um, and we actually we did snatches that bring a friend week. That was one of the, uh, one of the workouts that week. It's bring a friend week this um, week and we did snatches today. And uh, I think Jess was coaching that class actually. And I, like, I just felt so comfortable 
trying it. Like I felt like I had a safety net of somebody paying attention yeah. and and that's what Joy had told me a lot. She's like, no, like every time we do a complex movement, like we drill it with the PVC pipe, we drill it with the barbell. Like you're never going to be just like, here's a barbell, go yeah. do some lifting. I think there's a misconception when when we say things like, hey, everybody should do the Olympic lifts, that people automat- automatically assume that I mean like with heavy weight. <laughs> yeah. What When what we're actually saying is, Everybody should be practicing them. And for instance, let's say, you know, should should somebody who's 65 do a snatch? And I said yes. And they're like, what? And I'm like, we didn't ha- we haven't clarified with what they're doing yeah. a snatch with. Like, they should be doing a snatch with a PVC pipe or a broomstick because I know a lot about an individual who can take a stick or a barbell or anything from the floor, catch it in an overhead squat. If I have a 65 year old, they can do that with no weight. They have a lot of functional capacity. Yeah. You know, and that is what we're trying to teach people is like, hey, you don't need to do this with a lot of weight, but you do need to do it. Yeah. And, and I think that was the other thing. I mean, everyone says like, oh, well, don't worry. Like, it's scalable. It's scalable. But until I came in here and saw what that really meant and that there was no judgment for being like, I can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to scale. Like, there wasn't any feeling of like being less than and I think for me that was really important because I actually I had been in here once before that um oh really a couple years ago I came with Debbie who's our wellness coordinator at HRSD you came then? I came there's like three of us that came I did not know that um and I just re- I was not in very good shape at the time it was before I had started going to the gym regularly mm-hmm. and I was so intimidated and I am it's something I need to work on. I'm really bad at being bad at things. So if I'm bad at something, I will avoid it because I just don't like. Oh, I, think, well, I don't think that's, I don't I think think that's it, weird. Well, and I think it, part of it is just every time I did poorly at something growing up, people made a point of it because it yeah. was fun to be like, hey, look, she sucks at something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really afraid to fail at things in front of people. Like I will happily do something on my own and fail at it. If no one's watching, I don't care. But I don't so like how did you overcome that? Because I mean, that is what the CrossFit gym is filled with. Um, I think that that time that I came, and, and it was I understand why it was, but we sort of like the four of us were like a little group by ourselves, and we mm-hmm. weren't really with the class, and so I. I think I did like a something specific for you guys. Like it yeah. wasn't in the class. Yeah, it was yeah. like a separate little thing, and so I, I didn't. I still felt very like other. Mm-hmm. Um. And it wasn't until I came, like, to bring a friend week, and it was like, all right, we're not really giving you any special treatment. But to, like, look around and see that, like, no one is judging. Nobody yeah. cares. Everyone is just like, hey, you're here. That's awesome. Like, welcome to the gym. Yeah. Nobody cares if you can't do a box jump or, you know, all you're doing is snatches with a PVC pipe. Yeah. Like, it doesn't it matter. It just doesn't matter. And once I realized that nobody was watching, like, nobody <laughs> was going to say anything to me <laughs> unless, like, it's one of the coaches, like, I mean, Cassie's really good at this. Like, you need to add weight to that bar because that's way too easy. Yeah. But, like, otherwise, nobody's judging me for scaling. Yeah, and it's just a time and a place to walk in and kind of give somebody a little bit of guidance on that stuff. So, so that's cool. It, it, yeah, it wasn't really until then that I was like, oh. But it also, like, it helps that I had been going to Fit36 for a year because I was in much better shape when I came back. A good base of cardiorespiratory. So yeah. it wasn't as intimidating because, like, the first day we came – was cardio it was rowing biking and running and I didn't completely suck at it yeah um and that helped 
like for me personally, it was like, okay, I'm not a complete disaster at this. Like I can, you know, I can do this. Yeah, I um, think one of the probably one of the undervalued skill sets of a of a good coach, like regardless of what you're coaching, is the ability to figure out how to quickly tee up victories for people right like maybe they're not good at a bunch of stuff but if i can find something in there that they're good at and tee that up so that they can swing away on that one and that's just so crucial particularly in an environment in a crossfit gym where most people are going to fail at something on any given day like you're just not going to be good at that thing there's too many skills yeah they're, they're they're the level of complexity in most of the movements is so high that you know somebody who's not good at scaling who's not good at understanding like hey that person doesn't need to be in a handstand today <laughs> uh you know or maybe in the next six months and then teeing up something that they can be successful at i think that is what we've gotten uh at least I here mean, in our gym we've gotten way better at over the years i mean i would i would say you guys do a good job and i would say that that is a skill that's widely applicable to any sort of leadership i mean anytime agreed. you're training anyone on anything agreed um giving people the chance to succeed a little bit makes it a lot easier to fail at some things. Like if you can succeed at some things, it's easier to handle the failures. I'm actually reading a book called, and then we'll start to wrap it up because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, it's called The Best Places to Work. And that, that's how kind of, that's how the intro to the book starts is creating environments where you actually reward failure, not just like failing for the sake yeah. of failing, but uh, reward failure um, and really kind of emphasize like, well, like, what's the lesson learned here so that we can actually use that instead yeah. of browbeating people be like, oh, you suck, you didn't do it. You know, it's kind of like encouraging, encouraging a swing and a miss. You yeah. Know? And they use like Babe Ruth as an example. They're like, he only has, only had the most home runs for so long because he also had the most strikeouts. Yeah. You know, he was simultaneously held both records. And they're like, yeah, that's why he wouldn't have hit all the home runs had he not been swinging the bat so yeah. often, you know. So, um, okay, cool, awesome. All right, so we do this at the end of all of them. Um, kind of just ask you because I know you like to read a lot. Do you listen to podcasts? Not really. Okay. Not anymore. You like fiction. So, what yeah. book are you reading right now? Um, I don't even know what the title of it is. Must so be good. I've. I, I actually haven't been reading a lot. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks because I, it's the same thing. Yeah. I have a hard time finding time to sit down with a book, but I have a twenty-minute commute. Yeah, um, got it. It's some cheesy fantasy, like teen, mindless drivel. I'm not going to say it's, it's a about good vampires? book. Fairies. Um, okay. But it's entertaining. I like killer fairies. Some of them. Okay. Um, elves? Are there elves involved? There are no elves. So just fairies. Just fairies. Um, is this in a – are there fairies and humans, or is this a fully like fairy world? The There's both. Well, I mean, there's two worlds that exist. Who's killing who? Nobody's killing anybody Nobody yet. So there were killer fairies. Well, they haven't killed anyone yet, but I have a feeling they're about to. Oh, okay. So the um, fairies are going to kill people or other fairies? Other fairies. It's Sounds I mean, dark. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cheesy and it's dumb and, like – I have no problem. I do you just I do that as a kind of like a mindless exercise. Yeah, okay. I just I just like to escape, just take my mind off of everything yeah. else. Um, I, I we were talking about this before, but I feel like I should do any amount of that. I, actually, I probably look like mine's probably music. That's probably music yeah. is my mindless thing. I mean, the the one thing I do, uh, I, I just not justify. Not that I need to justify reading fiction, but they did a study and they found that 
um, the degree of empathy that a person possesses is correlated to the amount of fiction. Like people who read a lot of fiction tend to be more empathetic. How do you measure that? I don't know how they measured it. I'd be curious. I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you, but I'm curious how you measure um, empathy because it's like pretty subjective. You I'm know? sure that showing pictures, people pictures of something yeah. sad and the measuring brain activity yeah, or something. Um, but it was interesting when you think about it. And I mean, I, I imagine like biographies probably have some similar effect, but fiction forces you to put yourself in somebody's shoes and see a story from someone else's perspective, which That's is not. Cool. I think movies sort of do that, but it's not the same as reading. No, I don't like think it's so. it's not as immersive. Um, it's less creative because you're being fed everything via yeah. the movie. Where if I'm listening or reading to something, my mind has to create the visual representation of what I'm hearing or what I'm yeah. reading. So it's it's probably far more beneficial to to do it that way. So, but yeah. it was interesting because it's like you know, like a lot. Of, I just thought of fiction as you know, yeah, a release, just an okay. escape, but. That's cool. It actually is value to it as well. Read more fiction books, everybody. Um, cool. All right. You get to ask me anything you want. doesn't even have to be – it can be about anything. Um, so I haven't I haven't watched all of the others, so I've okay. just been asked. But I'm just curious. What is your biggest gym pet peeve? I have not been asked this question. <laughs> I think everybody's probably scared to ask <laughs> me. Um, this is going to – I don't really have one anymore. I, I used to. It used to be like leaving equipment out or people who put chalk all over the floor or people who leave rubber bands out. Um, the pet peeve, I don't have any – well, you didn't ask it this way, but I don't, I don't really have any for the members. That's, I don't have that expectation of anybody. I do have some pet peeves with the staff. Like the, so that, that pet peeve probably moved from <laughs> the members to the staff. But even then, I kind of look – I've changed. Uh, my perspective is different now, where it is, where it is if, if those things happen, it's my fault because I didn't facilitate some process or some procedure or some thing like where it's very obvious to everybody involved that that should go back there. Um, so that's why our gym is pretty organized, um, and, and I think it's cleaner than most. But uh, – Disney's like this. Uh, I was reading a book on Disney World recently, and they put so much emphasis into like keeping the gym clean and everything that like the the people that go there will actually like almost rush to pick up trash because <laughs> they feel bad that it because it's so clean. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of like the goal here is to eventually get to the point where like people almost feel bad about leaving stuff out. You know, I don't. I don't want people to feel bad, but like you, you have. It's a culture that takes time yeah. to facilitate. So, I mean, um, it's, it's like anything. It's a culture. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't really have any anymore. Like I just, I kind of let go of the expectation for people to do certain things, and it just makes my life a lot. It, like if I see trash, pick it up. If equipment's out, I don't bitch about it. I just put it away. Um, not to say that we don't talk to the staff about like yeah, clean up everybody, but like I'm not gonna. I've seen gym owners like literally lose their mind, and I'm like, bro. Maybe you should just put it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not worth so. the stress. Yeah, that's it. I mean, All right. I look at it the other way where I'm like, if, if there's if there's stuff out everywhere, that means there's lots of people here, which is good for business. <laughs> so I'm not going to complain. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Um, thank you for your time. This is fun. This is as fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, if you guys have any questions, hit us up. You can follow us on Facebook. 
on Instagram, CrossFit Rife. Check out the YouTube channel. And we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. See ya.